This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. The quest for reparations in America is still something that people are fighting for. And while there appears to be some sympathy in the U.S. and the, in the U.S. Senate and the House, there isn't enough support to pass legislation, at least to study the situation. And here with me to talk about the issue is political commentator Opio Sacconi. Good morning, Opio. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good in yourself. I'm doing well. I'm so happy for you to have me back on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's been a little while. Uh, a few listeners have been asking about you, so I was like, well, it's about time we get him back on, and I think this is the perfect topic for you to be here. Well, I hope I don't disappoint them. I'm like a zebra. The older I get, the angry I get, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you can't domesticate zebras. <laughs> <laughs> Opio, uh, the late Congressman John Conyers introduced legislation uh, that would study and per- provide a commission to study and develop reparations proposals for African-Americans year after year to no avail. Uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee has picked up this mantle and ran with it, but with Republicans taking over Congress, it appears this legislation probably won't see the light of day, at least not anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, John Conyers was an incredible legislator. Uh, He was considered, and is considered the dean, uh, one of the founders of the um, Black Caucus uh, in the Congress. I remember when I was in law school, their office just always opened up the door to us. He was uh, on a, on a, um, oh goodness, what was that? Uh, one of those committees, uh, the, the Judicial Committee, I believe, and hired a number of my friends out of law school. He would always put the, put forth every single year that HR 40, and that 40 comes from the the 40 acres in a mule um, situation that was supposed to have happened. Uh, reparations supposed to have happened uh, after slavery, but white people in the South end up getting reparations. Uh, well, some wealthy whites end up getting reparations in the South. Uh, but yes, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee ultimately took over for John Conyers after he was uh, kind of ousted uh, from the um, um, from the Congress. And she's down in Texas, and what better person uh, to continue to bring it forward, um, particularly there in uh, the state that pushed forth like crazy Juneteenth. Uh, but Dr. Julia Malveaux, uh, she's the perfect person for this because she's an economist. Uh, she has written on this. Uh, she understands this. Uh, she's uh, spoken in front of Congress uh, on this issue. And I think it's a simple issue. Some people say, well, you know, slaves, uh, people who are formerly slaved uh, should receive it. You know, if we don't talk about slavery at all, we can just talk about what happened from the 50s until now. 
uh, whether it's um, not getting the homes, uh, uh, not getting GI Bill, not getting the various things uh, that whites use to create wealth and pass on to not only to the next generation, but to their kids' kids. And, you know, if we just do that alone, uh, we are owed. Uh, so I think that uh, this is an issue that's not going to go away, and I do believe we'll see success on it. Black people can do anything. Right. And opioids, we talk about uh, the reparations movement or the uh, struggle here in America. You know, I think it's probably important for us to talk reputation from a historical perspective, which you just done, but even going back a little further, because black folks in America uh, were promised 40 acres and a mule, which, you know, like you said, ties into the name of the, of the piece of legislation that was introduced, H.R. 40. Um, and it was a promise uh, that generation later has gone unfulfilled. Um, you know, with, with that being said, you know, I think some people, they, you know, they hear 40 acres and a mule, they hear reparations, um, but they don't really get a sense for what that promise and, and what that remedy uh, is for. Yes, it was for slavery um, and the impacts of having uh, free labor people who built this country for free um, that all of us are able to enjoy some of us in a better situation than others um, but certainly uh, can you talk about and, pro and provide a real uh, overall context for what we're talking about and the uh, what we really mean by when we talk about re repairing in quotes this situation or remedying this situation as it relates to black folks in America Thank you. Um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention INCOBRA, uh, the National Organization for Black Reparations in America. Those were the people that, when I was in law school, when I was running around, <laughs> feeling as humble as I ever felt in my entire life, because every day in law school I felt like I was going to be uh, sent home, uh, because I saw over 100, you know, throughout the, uh, a few years get sent home from first year to the third year. I, I just never knew I was going to be there. But there were one one of my professors it was Nikichi Taifa. She was heavily into uh, in Cobra. She was a part of uh, she was an attorney that helped the um, the organization called uh, Republic of New Africa. These people that believe that we should have uh, some southern states states where black people are still uh, most at in the the, the black uh, Bible Belt area. Um, there were also uh, these organizations that. Um, uh, they were made up also of organizations like the uh, Uhuru Movement, uh, Amari, uh, uh, what was his name, Asateli, I forget what his first name is, and Amari Obadeli, who ultimately uh, taught uh, at Prairie View. Uh, these brothers and sisters were serious back in the day. Chokwe Lumumba, uh, who was a student of theirs, uh, came out of that movement. So these are people who kind of, where I uh, end up, anything that was going on in D.C. that they were doing as a law student, they would have me come there. There's an organization called the National Conference of Black Lawyers. And there were black lawyers that taken all the radical cases. These were the black lawyers that did it. And so this was a, a hodgepodge of people in that area where they, they had the history part of it. And so when you talk about the history part of it, you go back to um, uh, after, right after slavery, you fought that, the Civil War. Black people uh, really is the reason uh, this country won that war. And uh, ultimately, there was a lot of talk about the 40 acres in the mule. Ultimately, Lincoln died. His predecessor took over Johnson. Johnson was a straight-up 
cracker racist. Uh, but he was more for this country than he was for the South. And so he ultimately became the VP. Uh, when, but when Johnson took over, uh, I think he was out of Tennessee. You know, that's the home uh, uh, where those crackers got together and, and created the um, uh, Ku Klux Klan. You know, and it was once they took the troops out of the South, it, and uh, after the um, uh, Re- uh, Reconstruction era, it was a terror that went over the land. Uh, and so there was no uh, reparations that um, black were going to get. As a matter of fact, uh, from the 1880s and up until the 30s, blacks were uh, not only uh, with it, as they created um, uh, certain uh, entities, they were uh, actually being taken off of, of those land. They were being run out of the city. And not only local governments were doing it, but the federal government would not come to the aid. And sometimes the federal government were even part of it. Uh, a lot of times people mention um, the uh, uh, Tulsa and, and they'll mention uh, um, uh, Rosewood and they'll mention a number of these cities uh, that for some reason, there's always some some riot that happened, and ultimately whites get together, and there's a massacre that happened. You know, not to mention a lot, a lot of times we don't mention a lot of victories that we won, um, particularly down in Florida where they have what's called the Winchester Negroes, where they will actually go up to the prison and go get the black people out of jail. And so we never talk about a lot of the victories and you know those things that we won. Uh, but uh, as we go through and talk about the history. Um, the, you run dab smack into the middle of the Ferguson, uh, the um, Plessy v. Ferguson case, where the this country said that it was, uh, even though it was separate and equal, uh, uh, that they will allow these uh, various things to happen. And, and ultimately, uh, we got into the black codes. And uh, with the black codes, you, you want to talk about uh, the the country allowing anything to go on from the federal government. And ultimately, I believe when 1954 happened, when this country finally said, no, separate is not equal, and there's a lot of things happening to blacks that we have to deal with, not only financially, but psychologically. And that's how you hear about the doll test and so on. And so as you go on, there is no period after the Civil War that we get reparations, even though a number of other entities, Reparations, and but when you talk about reparations, just break the word down. I, I, I break it down mentally like this: it's repair rations, repair rations. That's how I think about it. And so there has to be uh, some repair thinking on it. Uh, but I believe that we're owed more than that. I think we owe some of the the physical things um, uh, in the way of finance. But I think there's an apology that has to happen as well, and a sincere apology. But I don't think that apology should come without. Uh, some type of monetary compensation. I hope I ain't talk too long on that, Chris. No, you're fine. And it just reminds me of a couple of things. You know, when you talk about the repair, you know, I, first first of all, America has not, has not issued an apology. And I, at the end of the day, I think most African-Americans across this country are a, a little sick and tired of these verbal apologies for different things that take place, right? It's, right. Somebody comes by and says, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry this happened to you. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about uh, apologizing for something, you know, most people who have been other groups of people who have had apologies issued to them for something that they were wrong with, most of that was also based on an economic apology, right, which means that there was some kind of compensation or consideration given to them for uh, that loss which is something that people are try, uh, have not extended to African-Americans in this country. Even when they tried to 
um, passed a National Ex-Slave Mutual Relief and Bounty and Pension Act, which was seeking pensions for formerly enslaved people who fought in the Civil War. That was something that they chose not to do. And then you look at the fact that people, uh, with how many people were able to make money off of slave labor, including the government through the, the most obvious way, which is taxes, the, you know, the cotton tax, the slave sales tax. There was all these different taxes that were placed upon stuff. Um, but then you look at the products that were also produced uh, at the hands of, on the hands and in the hands and on the backs of slaves. And there was also money that was made by the government from those things as well. And so there is a wide net of impact that uh, African-Americans who were enslaved had in this country that people benefited from economically. And people still don't want to, uh, like I said, repair uh, or put out a ration for what has taken place. And a lot of them say, well, it was so long ago, how do we even justify it? Yeah, it's not long ago. <laughs> My dad had to walk around to the back uh, of a restaurant to get something to eat. I couldn't imagine sitting in a restaurant, and some people, they will sit in a restaurant, and the white people can decide to feed them or not, if they want to serve them or not. Can you imagine that happening to you today? Psychological. The doll test. You give a kid a doll, and every single time, no matter how ugly and nasty the white doll look, they want to pick the white doll every time. Psychological. There's a lot of financial things that we just don't know, and we haven't passed up from generation to generation. And I always say that. I've said this on the show a number of times. Uh, history has no discontinuation. What happens yesterday directly affects us today. Uh, I can remember one time I was in, in college, man, I was about to drop out because I, I just didn't have the money. You know, and, and you know, I was a, a non-traditional student, so I had kids, and you know, I was going through the real life of stuff. And, and then I went and checked the mail. I had a twelve hundred dollar check. I was like, whoa! I kid you not, I almost fainted. I was so happy. And anybody who's ever been in college and been broke, broken about to drop out, understand this feeling. Man, I was lightheaded, and that was my GI Bill check. And I, I didn't know that it was going to come in. And so imagine me not having gone, I would have gone another route and so on, but there are thousands and thousands of black people that served in the military. They never got that check, where whites did get that check. There were housing contracts. I'm going to tell you about a Hanukkah, and sometimes I don't even want to talk about this because I get so angry. Um, whites were given regular uh, housing contracts. Uh, where you get the contract, you own the home, you're able to use it for wealth, and you're able to, to add and, and pay for the kids' college, buy your business, or, or make the house better, and, and, and create you know even uh, more wealth in, inside the home with equity and so on. Blacks, on the other hand, were giving house contracts. These are the type of contracts where it's kind of like uh, you, you're about to lose the house and you get a second on it, you can't sell it, you can't do get wealth on it. If you miss one payment, the house, even if you've been paying for 15 years, blacks, you know, they'll take the whole house. Those are the kind of contracts they put blacks into. And so not only do are we talking about banks that we have the money, insurance companies. Look at companies, and trust me where I believe that's where your wealth is. Insurance companies owe us money. There's a place called um, 
uh, and Illinois, I think Evanston, they, they options deal, you can get $25,000, but it's really kind of cloaked in a housing type of thing. Right now, California, I live in California a couple times, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm not a resident there. i got to figure out because they are serious and moving forward on uh, reparations, and I think they're talking about uh, 200 to $300,000 uh, for um, a number of things that happen to people now uh, as a result of economics and losing their land and, you know, the various things that the local government there that they can prove that they did, you know, and that's what the importance of having educated people and economists and people who've been doing this for a long time uh, involved in it and not just a rah, 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 how you feel and, and how we, you know, don't even listen to people say that you're not going to get reparations. Don't even listen to that uh, because, you know, we're going to get it one way or the other. Right. And, and Opio, um, do you believe that we are further today, any further today as it relates to the reparations, than we were 20, 30, or 40 years ago. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I can remember 20 years ago. You know, I was um, I was a lobbyist in D.C., and I was talking to, the, you know, I was in this group, and um, these are all white people and me. And uh, they were we were talking about the reparation. I made it simple for them. I say, so when you work, you don't want to get paid? I say, what if your dad worked and nobody ever paid him? Should you collect? I said, but what if his, you know, I kind of went down uh, that role. Right. And back then, they didn't mind doing anything except cash payments. For some reason, nobody want black people to have money and not even black people want black people to have money. That's the damage that we have. And they'll say, well, you know, they're going to spend it a certain way. And, and I agree that, you know, we have to think of certain ways that, you know, once you get money, let's begin looking at those uh, families that are successful, that have had money. And how do they do it? You know, there are different type of banking and uh, insurance structures they do to keep their money. Some have family offices if they have a large amount of money. So, yeah, you know, there's a certain type of education that, you know, we, we have to have. But, yeah, I believe that we are a lot um, further than we've uh, ever been. And, uh, you know, I think we'll get over the line, but I think it'll look a, uh, may look a lot different than we would think it will look, but I think the local governments have to be the ones that uh, really make this happen because anything that happens federally or locally, uh, you have to have legislators that have to vote on that money being released. Right. And, Opio, in your opinion, you know, what should reparations in America look like today? Money. Uh, and somebody saying, you know what, uh, at the top of the government, we're sorry. Let me tell you what happened. And articulate. I think Barack Obama would have done an incredible job at articulating that. But he felt like it was a hot potato. I get it. But I just thought he was wrong. It, I thought it would have made him look really cool and really strong. And this would have been the most awesome thing. Because he is, he can explain radical things and make them sound really, really nice. Barack Obama could have done that, but he didn't, he didn't want to do it. But I think that there has to be somebody at the top, because this is also a political issue, right? Somebody has to, to kind of lay it all out and a real apology with that education. And then, boom, here's the money, because Dr. King, I, I, when you look at that march in Washington, that march in Washington was called the march in Washington. It was called the march on Washington for justice and I think for jobs and freedom, 
And so it, Dr. King always had an economic part, and he understood that whites were getting certain types of money that blacks were not getting. And Dr. King was for reparations for all the people that had, had got to hear it from non, so uh, that, that don't want to hear from the radical people like me. Dr. King was for reparations. Right. And, Opio, there is a push for President Biden to sign an executive order uh, to establish uh, H.R. 40. Um in lieu of the fact that, you know, the Senate, you know, doesn't look like the Senate, or actually the, the Senate probably could pass the legislation at this point in time, um, but, you know, it could get blocked. But definitely on the on the House side now, the, where the numbers have shifted, it doesn't look uh, it's doubtful that it would pass. And so there's a push by some people to get uh, President Biden to sign an executive order um, to establish uh, this commission to look into reparations. Uh, do you think that that's something that President Biden um, could do and maybe will do? Man, Democrats will do anything to get elected. I'm going to tell you that right now. They'll do anything. And that right there is not a hard thing to do now. It's not a hard thing for him to say, hey, study it. It's not a hard thing for him to do. I remember um, uh, Kerry. I, I asked him on a, a national TV show, and I thought he had a, a really uh, – interesting and, and nice answer about, you know, what John Conyers was doing. And, and I almost thought he was going to say, yeah, I would do it. But he said he would look at it. And so it's, it's, I don't think it's just a tough thing right now. I just believe that it should have been done during the time where people were in the uproar about what happened to, to Floyd. That's where uh, George Floyd, that's when a lot of different local things happen along this issue and people start pushing a lot of the black stuff. I think this is when that, that should have happened. But never know, man, some, some really smart people out there. Um, but I, I think Biden are doing it in an election year. Yeah, he would do it. You think he would do that, even with? I think the... he would do it, but I don't. I don't think that the Congress uh, right now uh, would pass anything. No, I don't think Congress would pass. But I'm just asking the question: If you think that he would do it politically right now, as an executive given order, that they, yeah, I think yeah, in election the year he would still, do it. Given the fact that they still have this undercurrent of of the. Uh, the 45th person to occupy the White House um, and his quote-unquote influence, even though nobody's really talking about that he took the the biggest uh, whooping ever in a presidential election. Um, they want to claim that he's got, you know, still have this clout. But with that being said, even with that kind of undercurrent of a racial climate in America uh, that's being built up, you think he still would be able to, he step, should, would still step forward and, and do that? Yeah, I think about all all you got to do is say, well, hey, guess what? Trump will do it if you don't do it. <laughs> and, and nobody wants that monstrosity of anything back in the White House. But, yeah, I think that um, with Julia Manvo, I think with them bringing together um, uh, some type of coalition, I think they can make something happen uh, on a, uh, on a, uh, in an election year. Right. And, Opio, again, you said mentioned before this was a political issue. So, you know, when in order to get movement on this, it takes people to, um, you know, do their due diligence as, as well to, you know, lobby their uh, congressional delegation uh, with emails and phone calls, things of that nature, in order to get these things um, uh, passed. And so I, I would encourage people to uh, make those emails and phone calls. This is something they want to support as far as it relates to H.R. 40. Go to seattlemedium.com. I'm going to tell you, for the last... I can think maybe two years. You go to the SeattleMedium.com. You just see so many, so much 
uh, incredible information on there. I mean, you got um, expert information on there. Go there. If, if you're wondering what to do and, and how to get the information, uh, what you need to be, you know, saying and understanding, go to seattlemedium.com. All right, Opia. Well, I appreciate it. Great having you on this morning uh, as well. It's been a time. Uh, and best wishes to you and your family uh, over the course of the remainder of this year, moving into the new year, and, and happy holidays to you and your family. Same to you. Yeah, you know you're my favorite cuz. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, this feeling is mutual, sir. All right, All right. Chris, Appreciate you, happy. man. I appreciate you.